here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. We're going to jump right in. Many of the people in this audience work for a living, or they do other things, so they don't have time to sit in front of TV all day. Many of you. Plus, I, I like to be able to wrap these things in a nice, tight package for you. And so we're going to get started with Joe Biden, the generals, the testimony. We're going to spend some time on this. Because Joe Biden lied to the American people about matters of war and peace. How many more lies will it take until this man is faced with the word impeachment? I mean, I can only imagine a Republican president, and in particular, Donald Trump, what would be done to him and what they'd be saying about him. And so there's a couple of takeaways from this, but I want to set the stage here. And some of you who've been paying attention to this all day, you might say, this is repetitious. No, it isn't, because you haven't heard from me yet. That's the point. Biden on Good Morning America, August 19, 2021, with Clinton uh, apparatchik George Stephanopoulos. August 19, 2021, already Kabul has fallen. It fell really on August 15th. Cut one, go. Your top military advisors warned against withdrawing on this timeline. They wanted you to keep about 2,500 troops. No, they didn't. It was split. That, that, that wasn't true. That wasn't true. They didn't tell you that they wanted troops to stay? No, not, at, not in terms of whether we were going to get out in a time frame, all troops. They didn't argue against that. So no one, no one told your military advisors did not tell you, no, we should just keep 2,500 troops. It's been a stable situation for the last several years. We can do that. We can continue to do that. No, no one said that to me that I can recall. Okay. People give this guy the benefit of the doubt if he can't recall. Well, you know, if he can't recall, that's a problem. And if he's a liar, he's a liar, folks. He's been a liar his whole life. I played for you the other night. Now, even when he had all his wits, he was a liar. We have American citizens in enemy territory. 
and thousands of thousands of Afghan patriots who fought alongside us in enemy territory who were being slaughtered. And this man lies through his teeth. So let's get started here. This is the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, being questioned by Senator Tom Cotton. Cut to go. Uh, Secretary Austin, uh, President Biden last month in an interview with George Stephanopoulos said that no military leader advised him to leave a small troop presence in Afghanistan. Is that true? Uh, Senator Cotton, I, uh, I believe that, uh, well, first of all, I, I know the president to be an honest and forthright man. Uh, and just, secondly... Just, it's a simple question, Secretary Austin. He said no senior military leader advised him to leave a small troop presence behind. Is that true or not? Did these officer and General Miller's recommendations get to the president personally? Their input was, uh, was received by the president and considered by the president, uh, for sure. Uh, in terms of what they specifically recommended, Senator, they just, as they just said, uh, it, they're not going to provide uh, what they recommended in confidence. Okay, but what did they say? What did they say? Cut three, go. General Milley, it's your testimony that you recommended 2,500 troops uh, approximately stay in Afghanistan? Um, as I've said many times before this committee and other committees, I don't share my personal recommendations to the president, but I can tell you my personal opinion and my assessment if that's what you want. Yes, please. Um, yes, my assessment was... Uh, Back in the fall of 20, and it remained consistent throughout that uh, we should keep a steady state of 2,500, and it could bounce up to 3,500, maybe something like that, uh, in order to move toward a negotiated, gated solution. Did you uh, present? Did you ever present that assessment personally to President Biden? I don't discuss exactly what uh, my conversations are with the sitting president in the Oval Office, but I can tell you what my personal opinion was, and I'm okay. always candid. General McKenzie, do you share that assessment? Senator, I do share that assessment. Um, did you ever present that opinion personally to President Biden? Again, I'm not going to be able to comment on uh, those executive discussions. Did General Miller ever present that opinion personally to President Biden? I think it would be best to ask him. I believe that his opinion was well heard. And by the way, there's no suspense here. Every single one of these generals told Biden, you need 2,500 to 3,500, even possibly 4,500. So none of them recommended to him that he do what he did. This is very important. He's the president. The buck stops with him. But you notice Biden's always diverting, always blaming Trump, you know, the unvaccinated, the, the Afghan army, you know, this, that, and that, always blaming others. Cut for General Kenneth McKenzie today. Go ahead. I recommended that we maintain 2,500 troops in Afghanistan. And I also recommended earlier in the fall of 2020 that we maintain 4,500 at that time. Those are my personal views. I also have a view that the withdrawal of those forces would lead inevitably to the collapse of the Afghan military forces and eventually the Afghan government. Yes, I understand that. And uh, General Milley, I assume you agree with that in terms of the recommendation of 2,500? What I said in my opening statement and the memoranda that I wrote back in the fall of 2020 remained consistent, and I do agree with that. This committee is unsure as to whether or not General Miller's uh, 
recommendation ever got to the president. Now, General Miller was the commander on the ground. A tough general. A tough commander. And he strongly objected to the removal of those 2,500 military service personnel. Go. You know, obviously, there are conversations with the president. Yeah, but I would like to ask, even though uh, General McKenzie, I think you've all made this statement, did you talk to the president about General Miller's uh, recommendation? Sir, I was present when that discussion uh, occurred. Mm-hmm. And I'm confident that the president heard all the recommendations and listened to them very thoughtfully. Well, there you have it. I don't know that he listened thoughtfully. Probably a cringe, constipated look on his face because, he, you know, he wanted lunch. But that said... President heard all the recommendations, but none of it mattered. Senator Dan Sullivan, and that prior senator was in Hoff. I have to say the Republican senators were prepared. They did a very, very good job, including Dan Sullivan of Alaska. Cut five, go. On August 18th, in a media interview to the American people, the president said that none of his military advisors told him that he should keep U.S. forces in Afghanistan. General Milley, that was a false statement by the President of the United States, was it not? I didn't even see the statement, to tell you the truth. I'm reading you a truthful statement. Um, that, was, that was a false statement. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, look at. Look, I, I don't have a lot of time. Okay, was that okay. a false statement to the American I'm not going to categorize the statement of the President of the United States. General McKinsey. Oh, really? You, you took a lot of shots at Trump. But now he wants to be careful. Go ahead. The the president said none of his commanders said that he should keep troops in Afghanistan. Was that a false statement by the president of the United States? Remember, you do not have a duty to cover for the president when he's not telling the truth. Was that a false statement or not? I've given you my opinion on the matter. I've given you my judgment on it. I think we all know it was a false statement. Okay? That's number one. The president also said if there's an American citizen... Left behind in Afghanistan, the military is not is going to stay until we get them out. General Milley, was that statement, did that statement turn out to be true or untrue by the president? I think that was the intent, but we gave him a recommendation on the 25th of August to terminate the mission on the 31st of August. statement was untrue. Mm-hmm. Milley can't help it. He's, he, he comes to Biden's defense now and then, he tries to do it, but in the end, these two generals destroy Biden. They don't want to. Milley especially doesn't want to. But they do. And Senator Sullivan said something very important there. You do not have a duty to cover for the president when he's not telling the truth. More from Senator Sullivan of Alaska. Cut six, go. Here's the problem. I think the whole world knows. This is the cover of the Economist magazine. Biden's debacle. That had stories in it, articles in it, called the fiasco in Afghanistan is a huge and unnecessary blow to America's standing. That was one article. Joe Biden blames everybody else. That's another article. China sees America humbled. That's another article. And gentlemen, the problem here, these are not marginal misstatements by the president to the American people. These are dramatic, obvious falsehoods that go to the very heart of the foreign policy fiasco we have all witnessed. These are life and death deceptions that the president of the United States told the American people. More 
Senator Sullivan. Cut seven, go. General Milley, I understand your earlier answer to this question that senior military advisors and officers can't resign every time they disagree with the president. I actually agree with that. But after the president's decision, when the American people see such a strategic failure, as you called it, that's undermining our national security, they expect accountability. And there has been none. So have any of you accepted that accountability or responsibility? I'm accountable for my actions. And no, I'm just talking about a resignation. I have not submitted my letter of resignation. Mr. Secretary? No. General? I have not submitted a letter of resignation. Mr. Secretary, I want to know what will it take for someone, anyone, in the Biden administration to take responsibility or accountability for this national security fiasco? He's exactly right. And nobody's going to take responsibility or accountability. Nobody's going to resign. They like their positions. They like their power. And they're a disaster. Those three men sitting there, the Secretary of Defense, Austin, former general, four-star General Milley, three-star General McKenzie, they will go down in history as a disaster. You don't leave American citizens behind enemy lines or our allies behind enemy lines. You don't do what these men did and just salute. In this case, it was more than a policy disagreement. This is an abomination. You do not leave American citizens behind. Joe Biden lied about the advice he got. He lied that no citizens will be left behind. And the question is, if he'll lie about matters like this, will he not lie about everything and anything? The border, the budget, the taxes, the spending? The answer is yes. They're telling you the border is secure. Does the border look secure? They're telling you when you spend $5.5 trillion, there's no cost. Does that make sense to any human being on the face of the earth if you're not a radical left-wing, diehard Democrat? I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. I want to continue in this vein. We have General Mark Milley at the hearing today and scrutinized yet again by Senator Tom Cotton. 
Cut eight, go. General Milley, uh, Joe Biden has said that it was the unanimous, the unanimous recommendation of the Joint Chiefs that we not maintain a military presence beyond August 31st. We've heard testimony to that effect today as well. When was that unanimous recommendation sought and presented to the president? You're talking about the 31 August? Yes, the 31 August deadline for getting out of here. So on 25 August, I was asked to make an assessment and provide best military advice on... I'm sorry, my time is limited here. You just gave me the answer that I needed here. August 25th? Correct. Cobble fell on August 15th. That's correct. You were not asked before August 25th? On August 25th, I was asked to provide best military assessment as whether we should keep military forces past the 31st. Secretary Austin, was anybody asked before August 25th if we should keep troops at the Kabul airport? This is uh, the president tasked us to to, make, to provide an assessment on whether or not uh, we should extend our, our presence uh, beyond August 31st. And as General Milley just said, that assessment was uh, was made. We tasked him to make that assessment on the 25th, and uh, he came back and provided his best military advice. Secretary, Kabul fell on August 15th. It was clear that we had thousands of Americans. It was clear to members of this committee who were getting phone calls that we had thousands of Americans in Afghanistan behind Taliban lines on August 15th. And it took 10 days to ask these general officers if we should extend our presence. I suspect the answer might be a little different if you were asking them 16 days out, not five days out. It's unbelievable. And uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn will be on the program at hour three. If you want to check in for that, we haven't got to uh, her questioning yet, which was also absolutely superb. And again, I thought the Republicans, every single one of them, they were outstanding. Um, and they, they went through this. They were passionate. You could tell they were very upset. Uh, the Democrats, Elizabeth Warren and so forth, were trying to walk us back 20 years, of course. But even some of the Democrats, despite taking their shots at the prior president, they were concerned about this. And some of them have constituents still in Afghanistan. And we're not going to forget this. This is why I'm taking the time to go over it with you. We've got more. I'll be right back. Mark Levin, a champion of freedom. You know, you're one of the greatest champions of freedom in this country, if not in the English-speaking world, Mark. Call Mark at 877-381-3811. General Milley is questioned by Senator Blackburn of Tennessee. Cut 10, go. General Milley, were there options given for keeping American troops in Afghanistan rather than the unconditional chaotic withdrawal? Yes. You presented options, and those options were declined. There were options presented and debated? Yes or no. The decision was made. Yes or, yes or no is fine. Did you at any point create options for keeping Bagram open beyond July 2nd? Yes. Did you provide options for keeping Bagram open directly to the president? Yes. Had Bagram stayed open, would our support to the Afghan Air Force been more effective in your view? I'm sorry, I didn't catch the last part. If Bagram had stayed open, would our support to the Afghan Air Force have been more effective in your view? Yes or no? 
Uh, frankly, I'm not sure on that one because most of the Afghan Air Force was a different basis, specifically at HKIA. So what? So what? If we had air power, see, the Taliban didn't have air power. So our jets can move relatively freely. I think the answer is obviously yes. Let's continue. Now, Senator Blackburn zeroes in on the Woodward leaks. Cut 11, go. General Milley, um, yes or no to this. Did you talk to Bob Woodard or Robert Costa for their book, Peril? Woodward, yes. Costa, no. Did you talk to Carol Leonick and Philip Rucker for their book, Alone, Can I Fix It? Yes. Did you talk to Michael Bender for his book? Book is, frankly, we did win this election, the inside story of how Trump lost. Yes. yes. Now let's stop right there. These are all reporters. Um, four of them for the Washington Post. These are all attack Trump books. And you have to wonder why the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff is talking to any author who's writing any book about an administration. Let me, let me tell you something before we go on with this, because uh, Senator Blackburn was superb. I worked eight years in the Reagan administration. I worked for several members of President Reagan's cabinet. I even worked in the White House for a period of time. I never wrote a book on anything I told anybody. I was chief of staff to the Attorney General of the United States. I was deputy solicitor of the Interior Department. I had direct responsibilities to the cabinet secretaries. I was principal deputy uh, secretary, or whatever the hell, deputy assistant secretary to the Secretary of Education. Way back when. I'm... And it's even worse when you're in the military to be talking to reporters or to be talking to authors who are reporters, who sit on their stories to make a buck, by the way, about matters involving the administration, whether you like those matters or not. About official policy that's out there, that's fine. There have been some disagreements among the brand, that's fine. But you don't make disloyal statements or statements off the record or statements that are intended to put your principal in a bad light. That's disloyal. You have no conscience. So the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff should be retired forcibly for this reason alone. A president, a cabinet secretary, whomever cannot get advice cannot speak freely and cannot expect others to speak freely when somebody takes it upon themselves to do what Millie did. He's not alone. Go ahead. You accurately represented in these books. I haven't read any of the books, so I don't know. I've, I've seen press know. reporting of it. I, okay. I haven't read right, First of all, I, I don't mean to be rude. I don't believe them. Do you believe Mr. Producer? No way. If you're going to leak, if you're going to leak in, some, in a manner of that sort, uh, you're going to want to know what was said about you because your ego is so massive. Go ahead. Read the books and then let us know if you are accurately presented Absolutely. and portrayed. Happy to do that. She later said she was giving him a, uh, a uh, book report assignment. Marsha Blackburn, cut 12, go. 
say in any of these conversations, did you discuss private meetings with the president or White House officials? Um, White House officials, perhaps. President, I don't think so. So you never discussed any of your, pre your conversations with President Trump? With President Trump. With no. any of these authors? Not a private conversation. Okay. Did you portray the Commander-in-Chief in a negative light or make comments that were critical of the Commander-in-Chief to any of these authors with which you had conversations? Uh, not my comments or my observations, no. You others that were relayed to me from others. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to me, the to key you. question, I'm second, you know, 2020 would have been, why are you talking to any of these people? Why are you talking to any of these people? Go ahead. Great. This. Uh, would you see these conversations as an abuse of executive privilege? I would not, no. You would not. Okay. Let me ask you this. That's actually a very targeted and a very good question because depending on what he said no official in the executive branch but the president has the right to waive executive privilege or to assert it for that matter but in this case to waive the authority that the president has go ahead what is your standard for determining when to leak private conversations with the president I don't leave private conversations with the president. You did not. So uh, you had these conversations with the authors, but you don't see that as leaking information to which they were not entitled to know. See, this is the problem no, so, that we have. See, as a member of this committee and as someone who represents a lot of our men and women in uniform that are there, as we've referenced today, I've really got an issue with the fact that you will talk to authors, but then you all come in here and you say, well, we can't tell you what we told the president, and then I have to drag it out of you that the written documents, which under Article 2, you're supposed to give those to us. You can't go hide behind somebody's skirts on this, and you don't want to give those to us. So you've re repeatedly told this committee that you will not reveal your private conversations with President Biden, but then you've leaked this information from your meetings with President Trump. Mm -hmm. And finally, cut 13, go. You talked a little bit earlier about the damage, and you said damage was the right word to use when assessing what has happened in Afghanistan when you look at America's credibility. So how do you look the men and women in the eye that have served under your command? How do you look young men in the eye that are coming to our military academy days and who want to serve and say, you can depend on me, I've got your back. Because you know what? I think a lot of these families right now, they don't feel like you have your back. The special ops guys I met with Friday in my office in Nashville that are taking their time, their money, and risking their lives to do a job that the three of you could not do. Maybe we're going to remember you three as the three that broke the military. I don't know. But this is causing 
just a lot of anger from people who have trusted the military. They have felt like the military was one of the most trustworthy institutions. But in order to get a name in a book, in order to not be drawn into a political fight, what you have managed to do is to politicize the U.S. military, to downgrade our reputation with our allies. Nobody has resigned. Nobody has submitted their resignation. And we've got thousands of people watching this hearing today that are looking at you all and saying, I can't believe they're sitting there and not answering the questions and are trying to punt. More like hundreds of thousands. And now millions have heard it. Millions and millions. And that's why I wanted you to hear these clips. There was more. But this sets the stage. And this gives you a feel for what took place. I'll be right back. Mark and say you're going to bring home American citizens, you're not leaving any behind. If you're going to lie about that, if you're going to lie about the fact that you were told, your State Department was told, I believe it was in June or July, in a cable from State Department staff in Kabul, that the situation was bad and that the country and government could collapse. You're going to lie to the then president of Afghanistan and tell him to lie to the American people in the world that the war is going okay when he's telling you they're getting whipped and they're under under, uh, invasion from terrorists out of Pakistan and so forth. And then you're going to lie and say that your generals, to a man, did not advise leaving even a small footprint. That's four damn lies about a war. And I expect Ben Sass and Mitt Romney, and I expect Liz Cheney and Adam Kingsinger to demand the impeachment of this man. I expect them to stand up. What, do you have a one standard for Trump and one standard for Biden? For God's sakes, Trump did nothing even close to what took place here. Nothing. This guy, Ben Sass and Mitt Romney, Lisa Murkowski and the rest of them. Liz Cheney is a fraud. A fraud. She says she supports national security. Where is she? Still chasing down Trump. Adam Kingsinger, where's that clown on CNN? It's unbelievable, really. Joe Biden has condemned himself time and time and time again. And yet we hear nothing. Ben Sass is very critical. His friends at National Review, it's a site that loves Ben Sass, because uh, Ben Sass, a member of the Senate Select Committee on Intel, wrote in a statement President Biden lied when he told the American people that nobody urged him to keep 2,500 troops in Afghanistan. Today, under oath, 
General McKenzie flatly contradicted the president. This is the worst American foreign policy disaster in a generation. The president is trying to cover his ass with political spin. A cover-up, huh, Sass? I asked the people in Nebraska, what kind of senator is this? I'll answer. A pathetic fraud. That's what kind of a senator it is. We are stuck. We're stuck under this system right now. We're stuck with with some of the worst generals this country's ever known. We're stuck with a president of the United States who is defective in every respect. We're stuck with a media that have turned on the country. That have turned on the country. We're stuck with Republicans that will not even seek to talk about impeachment against a president who should be impeached. Well, we're not a majority. Who cares? You're talking to the American people. You have a constitutional responsibility. And I don't need former federal prosecutors not trained in the Constitution. I don't need former defense counsel telling, why you don't want the Constitution? Shut the hell up. We know exactly what's said in the Constitution, exactly what was debated in the Constitutional Convention, to the extent that Madison provides it. We know the history reaching back to the Parliament in Britain. We know all of that. And so did you. You never Trumpers. When you turned on Trump the way you did. We're going to hear from these never Trumpers. We're going to hear from the Hawks. We're going to hear from them now. They're going to demand impeachment. They're going to demand what? What is it? What are they going to do? We got generals who won't resign and should. We have a secretary of defense who won't resign and should. We have a man in Biden who lies more than he tells the truth. His spokes idiots, the people who surround him, diabolical. We have a phony, fraudulent media in this country. I'd say we have a problem. I'll be right back. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin, our number, 877-381-3811, We have a president who will lie about anything and everything. Serial lying when it came to Afghanistan. Serial lying about the border. And now he's leading the charge with the liars in his own party in the media, including the Washington Compost that they want to spend $5.5 trillion, but it won't cost you anything. Here's the thing. They think the American people are as stupid as their base, because their base will buy anything. I don't believe the American people are as stupid as the Democrat Party base, or as the mouthpieces in the media. They always have to lie, they always have to spin, they always have to deceive. So do you believe a president who will lie about such things as war and peace and life and death 
would not lie about other things, such as this bill that they want to pass, if they can, this week, this war, on your lifestyle, on your liberty, on our economic system, on your unalienable rights, on your private property rights, they can just vote them all away. That's what they feel. And with the courts, I think they're right. And they want to make all the decisions for you. That's why they talk about climate change. They can control the air. They can control the, the water. They control everything rela- related to what you need to live. And so they create climate change. The Green New Deal. The Green New Deal is a deal that comes right out of the Red's handbook. It's largely a Marxist model, Marxist-inspired program. And it is an absolute attack on you. And I want to read something to you. I've talked about this in the distant past. If you have your copy of American Marxism, I'm at 153, because many of you do. And people always say, well, what page you on? It doesn't really matter. Ayn Rand was a genius. Genius. You don't have to agree with everything she wrote and so forth, but she was a genius. She was an immigrant to the United States from Russia. She wrote many books, but she wrote a book called Return of the Primitive, the Anti-Industrial Revolution. Because what we're talking about are the primitives in the way they think and the way they operate. And I've talked to you many times about how these people are anti-industrial revolution. It was published more than 40 years ago. And she exposed this movement more than 40 years ago. She wrote, the immediate goal is obvious. The destruction of the remnants of capitalism in today's mixed economy and the establishment of a global dictatorship. The goal does not have to be inferred. Many speeches and books on the subject state explicitly that the ecological crusade is a means to an end. Now this is very important what she says. My entire book, American Marxism, I point out what these Marxists are explicitly saying and writing. Which is why there hasn't been any serious substantive criticism of what I've written. Because to review the book, which the New York Times and Washington Post have not done, is to have to grapple with, for them, the words, the statements, the writings of the Marxists. Rand also noted that the movement demonstrated the failure of Marxism, writing that the new approach involved, quote, the substitution of birds, bees, and beauty, nature's beauty, for the pseudo-scientific, super-technological paraphernalia of Karl Marx's economic determinism. A more ludicrous shrinking of a movement's stature or a more obvious confession of intellectual bankruptcy cannot be invented in fiction. She says, instead of their old promises that collectivism would create universal abundance and their denunciations of capitalism for creating poverty, they are now denouncing capitalism for creating abundance. Instead of promising comfort and security for everyone, they are now denouncing people for being comfortable and secure. They're still struggling, however, to inculcate guilt and fear. 
These have always been their psychological tools. Like the virus. Only instead of exhorting you to feel guilty of exploiting the poor, they are now exhorting you to feel guilty of exploiting land, air, and water. Instead of threatening you with bloody rebellion of the disinherited masses, they are now trying to scare you out of your wits with thunderously vague threats of an unknowable, cosmic, cataclysmic situation. Threats that cannot be checked, verified, or proved. Was she not right on, Mr. Producer? Genius. Rand hammered the, quote, deeper significance of the ecological crusade, which he said lies in the fact that it does expose a profound threat to mankind. Though not in the sense its leaders allege, it exposes the ultimate motive of the collectivists, the naked essence of hatred for achievement, which means hatred for reason, for man, for life. And rather than condemning the Industrial Revolution, Rand explains that it was the great breakthrough, the Industrial Revolution, that liberated man's mind from the weight of the ballast, the country made possible by the Industrial Revolution, the United States of America, achieved the magnificence which only free men can achieve, and demonstrated that reason is the means, the base, the precondition of man's survival. Rand's point, of course, is that freedom and capitalism are inextricably linked. And the Industrial Revolution is magnificent evidence of the capabilities of a free people. She further explained, quote, the enemies of reason, the mystics, the man-haters, the life-haters, the seekers of the unearned and the unreal have been gathering their forces for a counterattack ever since. The enemies of the Industrial Revolution, its displaced persons, were of the kind that had fought human progress for centuries. Today they are reduced like cornered animals to bearing their teeth and their souls and to proclaiming that man has no right to exist. And I point out, in fact, the movement's refrain is a relentless condemnation of modern man's way of life, such as man-made climate change. We had so many, so many brilliant people in the not-so-distant past Just thinking about this today. Milton Friedman, Ayn Rand, Hayek, Mises, even men and women who didn't agree with each other, but their genius was just so compelling. And so many, so many others. Which is why I try to breathe, I won't say life into them obviously but into their works and so forth things that are going on today this book American Marxism it is, it is even remarkable to me in some respects when we get into these debates we're debating at the lowest most base level with people like AOC and Schumer Nancy Pelosi the never Trumpers, the media type, we're at the base level. We're not we're not debating at an intelligent level at all. Because Marx drags us to this position. The Democrat Party's all in. And so if you're a self aggrandizer, if you're a narcissist and you're self righteous, then lying is okay. Because Karl Marx constructed one 
damnable big lie after another. That's what big tech is all about. Censorship. It's a lie. To force an agenda. To indoctrinate. Communist China. North Korea. Venezuela. Cuba. Of course, they don't have to be strictly communist regimes. You see that in these, these constructs in Europe. All the time. That do the same thing. Lying becomes a habit. Lying becomes a good thing. If it's for the cause. And so now, Ben Sass, who fancies himself an intellectual, professor, is president of a tiny college, he's not an intellectual in the least. In fact, he's, he's kind of dumb, if you ask me. He sees what's swirling around. If he really knew, he sees what's swirling around. And you look at him. He's not a leading light. He's not a leading voice of any kind. I'll be right back. Mark Now let's turn to immigration. Everything this president has touched, his party, his advisors, his bureaucracy, has really been destructive, incredibly destructive of this society. And they haven't even been in power for a, a year yet. I want to remind you that Pew Research did a very thorough survey, an evaluation. What? eight months back, six months back or so. And you see the people coming on the border, there's about 20,000, 15 to 20,000 Haitians behind the first group of Haitians that came to the country. And most of those Haitians came out of Chile. They were already refugees in, in Chile. And many of these are the same thing. In other words, they're not escaping Haiti. And by the way, The Haitians don't even want to go back to Haiti. Why is that? Why is that? When when the Democrats talk about these countries, they say they're they're filthy, they're impoverished, they don't have a rule of law, the crime is through the roof. You can't blame these people for leaving such a country. And then when Donald Trump tells one of them it's an asshole culture or country, he's called a racist. So I guess the Democrats are racist, right? But we always knew that. So there's more coming. And the border is still open. And Joe Biden and his hacks tell us the border is secure. The border is secure. And $5.5 trillion doesn't cost you anything. And not a single one of my generals told me to leave a footprint in Afghanistan. And I graduated in the top one-third of my law school class. So, it's important when we look at immigration to remember something. You have an open border, the country dies. Because it's not a country anymore. It's a global territory. You have an open border, the citizenry die. The citizenry who elected the officials, who built the country... There's no such thing as citizenship. In New York, they want non-citizens now to be able to vote in local elections. You've heard about this in other areas, too. 
it's just coming. They just keep ratcheting it up. One day they're going to say there's no difference between citizenship and non-citizenship. At some point, you're outnumbered. That's why the framers opposed democracy and supported republicanism, little r. At some point, you're outnumbered. People can vote to take your private property. People can vote to take your liberty. People can vote against citizenship. People can vote any way they want. That's why majority rule, majority rule per se, can be diabolical and evil. You have unalienable rights that nobody's supposed to be able to take from you. Period. I want you to remind, I want to remind you about this that I've told you about before on page 129 of American Marxism. I want to remind you about this, and then I want you to think about it in the sense of the entire world. Jim Clifton, chairman and CEO of Gallup, asks, Here are questions every leader should be able to answer regardless of their politics. How many more people are coming to the southern border? And what is the plan? He said there are 33 countries in Latin America and the Caribbean. Roughly 450 million adults live in the region. Gallup asked them if they would like to move to another country permanently if they could. A whopping 27% said yes. 27% said yes. This means roughly 120 million people would like to migrate somewhere. Gallup then asked them where they would like to move. Of those who want to leave their country permanently, 35% or 42 million said they want to come to the United States. This doesn't include the continent of Africa, doesn't include the Middle East, it doesn't include the Far East, doesn't include it, just south of the border. Seekers of citizenship or asylum are watching to determine exactly when and how is the best time to make their move. When, how is the best time to make their move? I included this in this book. I finished this book, what, honey, April. And I just found this. So this is half a year ago, give or take. And it's all come true. They are watching to determine exactly when and how is the best time to make their move. In addition to finding a solution... For the thousands of migrants currently at the border, thousands, we've now had millions. Let's include the bigger, harder question, he writes. What about all of those who would like to come to America? What is the message to them? What is the 10-year plan? 330 million U.S. citizens are wondering. So are 42 million Latin Americans. And I might add hundreds of millions of other foreigners. We have a president of the United States. An administration, a Democrat party that has intentionally enshrined a policy that can only destroy the country, overwhelm our utility systems, our law enforcement, our hospitals, our schools, our welfare state. The goal is to collapse the existing society. The goal of critical race theory, collapse the existing society. The Green New Deal, collapse the existing economic system. That's what they're doing. And if they can't do it by executive order, they sure as hell try. They're trying to pass a package, a law, an omnibus bill this week. That delivers our society, our culture, our country to the Democrat Party. That's what this is.
That's what it is. And I don't give a damn what Media Matters calls me or Mediaite or these other schmuck operations. Even the hapless loser Obama said we can't sustain this. It's not intended to be sustained. They are violating federal immigration law. They are violating federal immigration law. They don't care about your health and welfare because these people coming into the country are the poorest of the poor from the poorest of the poor countries and corners of the earth. They are not vaccinated for anything. They are not treated for anything. The same Joe Biden that delivered Afghanistan to the terrorists is destroying this country from within. His party is, his administration is, and he is. I'll be right back. Can't got your tongue? Cough up a fur ball and call 877-381-3811 right now from Mike Levin. I want you to think about this, this book, Peril, and how these two Washington Post hacks can push an agenda, depending on who they interview and what questions they ask. Joe Biden was, in fact, told by almost unanimous, I think it was unanimous, his top brass, not to pull out of Afghanistan, to leave some footprint there. That wasn't in Woodward's book, was it, Mr. Producer? Not that I'm aware of. Missed that one. Didn't you miss that one? We all missed that one somehow. Isn't that amazing? They don't really expose Biden and what he early on, and what he was doing with Afghanistan at all. At all. As for Millie, Millie is a disaster. And yet they promote Millie. Why? Why? Because Millie gives them what they want. So let, let's take this call. Let's see what we have. We have Gary Staten Island, New York, the great WABC, disagrees with me. Millie Courageous saved us war. I don't know what that means. Yes, how may I help you, sir? Oh, uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Levine. I appreciate this. Yeah. Um, I've been on a journey from the left to the right. I've been doing a lot of reading of conservative literature. I look forward to reading your book. And I would say this, that despite that, I feel reluctant to attack General Milley. Why? Because I would say that, in my opinion, that he might have saved us the trouble. We would, we might not be having this conversation. We might all be dead if he didn't make that a pair of phone calls to General Lee in China. Unfortunately, well, you think, well, what would China do? Launch a nuclear attack against the United States? You think that's what he would have done? Well, unfortunately... Based on uh, what? Based on the book, Peril? You hear Milley testify today? Even he said uh, Donald Trump wasn't planning to go to war with China in any respect. 
But right. what if Donald Trump wanted China to think that we were in aggressive posture in order to keep them on their heels? Presidents do this sort of thing. So you have absolutely no basis whatsoever for such an extreme conclusion. In fact, the opposite is what one should conclude. You have Milley saying Donald Trump wasn't going to go to war with anybody. Uh, you have the communist Chinese who are the threat. They're the provocateurs all over the world. And, you know, here's the problem, Gary, seriously. I used to hear this stuff about Ronald Reagan. They was going to get us in a nuclear war. In other words, if you're not a globalist and a pacifist, if you're not prepared to surrender America's superpower status and give up our allies to our enemies in one form or another, this is what they say about you. Okay. The Chinese were not going to go to war with us. If they want to go to war with us, they can do it right now. We have one of the most pathetic presidents in American history sitting there in the Oval Office that surrendered Afghanistan, that gave the Russians their pipeline, who refuses to challenge the communist Chinese, who's caved to Iran, who's caved to the Palestinians. I mean, if you're going to hit, you might as well hit now, right? But they're not, because they still know we have silos too. Okay. But that doesn't mean they won't hit Taiwan the way they swallowed up Hong Kong, God forbid. So I don't think Milley prevented anything. I think Milley's promoted himself. I think he's a useful idiot for Woodward, who's constantly a Trump hater. Other than these sellout never-Trumpers and repubics, what I call rhinos, uh, you know, he hated Reagan too. He hated Reagan's CIA director. He did a hit job on him that most people think was another phony job. So, uh, what's that? Casey, right. Casey's wife said, the times that Woodward said he was snuck in the hospital and interviewed Casey, Casey was in a coma. No. So I would just suggest to you, and and I'm really thrilled that you've moved over here, you've got to be skeptical. One of the things conservatives need to be, constitutionalists anyway, is skeptical. Skeptical of the media, for sure. Skeptical of these arguments. Um, and what I took when Millie said, I make calls like this all the time, I said, oh, my God, he does? <laughs> You're the head of the Joint Chiefs. You know what you do? You walk into the President of the United States say, Mr. President, I recommend you call Xi over there in China. They're thinking X, Y, Z. He's an advisor. That's his job. His job is a facilitator, an advisor, a coordinator. He has no combat role whatsoever, none. And so if he's expanded it to include... His concern, the, the communists might think this, and he says, and I spoke to the Secretary of Defense. The Secretary of Defense is one of the people he reports to, but ultimately reports to the President of the United States who appointed him. That's what the statute says. The Secretary of Defense, yes, but the President of the United States. And if you really think the communist Chinese are this worked up, you go over to the White House, you knock on the Oval Office door, and you have a conversation with the President. He didn't do any of that. You want to know why? Because he hated Trump. Why? He hated Trump. Mm. And he should have resigned. All right, Gary, don't hang up. I'm going to send you a signed copy of American Marxism, and I really want you to read it. All right? There he goes. Thank you for your call. Very, very good call. Let's go to Paul. The villages in Florida. I've never been there, but I'm told I should really go there. Say hello to everybody. The Villages in Florida on the Mark Levin app. Paul, how are you, sir? I'm doing very well, sir. And yourself? I'm doing great. Thank you. 
Great. Hey, I'm just kind of kind of curious. Mm-hmm. Why raise a debt ceiling if the budget's going to cost nothing? Wait a minute. This is a brilliant point. In other words, why raise the debt ceiling if 5.5 trillion costs nothing? That's a perfect rejoinder to these people, Paul. Perfect. Thank you. I, I, I just... Okay. I love yeah. it. Thank and now you. millions of people have heard it, and the backbenchers will spew it tomorrow. That is a great point. We don't need to raise the debt ceiling because this isn't going to cost us anything. That's a damn good point. Now, Paul, I understand they do a lot of parting at the villages. Is that true? Uh, we have, uh, you should come down, you should come down and visit it for a couple of days. I'm not a partier, you know, but listen, I want to send you no, a, no, but they yeah. have a lot of entertainment and stuff. Yeah, you do? Well, let me send you a signed copy of American Marxism, Paul, and that was a great call, really, Paul, well, well done, and we're going to promote that point, too. You don't need to raise the debt ceiling since the $5.5 trillion isn't going to cost us anything. It's a great point. It just shows how stupid and dishonest they are. Great point. All right. Let's go to Laura, Charlotte, North Carolina, XM Satellite. Laura, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you. Well, it's truly an honor uh, to speak with you this evening. Uh, Thank you so much for taking my call. Thank you. I just wanted to... uh, point out today, as I was at work um, caring for patients, I work in health care, mm-hmm. and uh, I was watching General Milley today, and uh, I, I mean, he is just a complete disaster in everything he said, but I just do want to, you know, commend the Republicans and their questions and and how that went, but I just think Milley is just They, they were really disaster. prepared today, weren't they? I mean, I mean, unlike the past, they were prepared. They were, they were laser-focused, very good questions. I mean, one to the next to the next. It was very impressive, I thought, Laura. Yes, I, I did as well. It kind of like blew my mind because I was walking down the hall, and I looked at my, you know, I was looking at my phone, and I was getting ready to go to lunch, and I was like, whoa, wow, mm-hmm. they're really, you know, prepared today. But thank you. This is, you know, this is what we need. Let me ask you a question. You work in a hospital? Uh, I actually, I work for uh, a health system, but actually I float my position. I'm a medical assistant, so oh. I float in between different practices. All right, so you don't have to eat the hospital food. Uh, no, but they have an excellent salad bar, though. Oh, my God. My wife would love that, not me. <laughs> uh, when I used to eat salad before my little incident last week, I would get salad and put a ton of Thousand Island on it. And my wife would, what's the point of that? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, she's right, so why eat salad? Uh, Laura, don't hang up. We want to send you a signed copy of American Marxism as well. Thank you. Some really great calls, I must say. But Paul's point, and I want you to think about this. It's a good way to counter these people. It's not going to cost anything. It's paid for. Okay, so why should we raise the debt? Why should we raise the debt? Then you have people like the morning schmo, you know, the kid from Deliverance with the bando on the bridge. 
Hey, you know what? The Republicans were deficit spending a whole lot too. Yeah, and I'm probably the only host in America, or very few of us, who complained about that. But that said, we're talking about two different things here. It was bad enough what they did. That doesn't excuse what the Democrats want to do. They want to double, triple down with the Republicans. And even more than that, they want to socially re-engineer the entire country in unconstitutional ways. It's not good enough to of the Republicans. Well, then, did Joe Scarborough support my efforts, Mr. Bedusa, to get rid of the Republican establishment that can't stop spending? No, he's part of the Republican establishment. Now he's part of the Democrat, you know, uh, goon squad. No. All right, I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Now you've heard about this, but this is really incredible. The FBI has released 2020 crime statistics and the murder rate increase will shock you. PJ Media, A.J. Kaufman. It's official. The United States in 2020 experienced the biggest rise in murders since the start of national record-keeping 60 years ago. That defund the police movement that the Democrats got behind, and then it was slash the police budget that the Democrats got behind, and Nancy Pelosi calling federal law enforcement, what? Stormtroopers, followed by James Clyburn. The attacks on the cops by Democrat mayors, Democrat city councilmen, Democrat rioters and looters and arsonists, Democrat Marxists like BLM and Antifa, well, it's costing people their lives. It's amazing. Just step back and think about this. We had to get out of Afghanistan. It's gone on long enough. None of our folks died in 18 months. It's gone on long enough. We have people dying every day, being murdered in the streets in our cities now. Hasn't that gone on long enough? And the Democrat Party's response is, easy bail, in the front, out the back door. Trash the cops. Expose the cops to lawsuits. Slash their budgets. That's the response. The Uniform Crime Report detailed a murder increase of nearly 30%. 30%. Previous largest one-year change was 12.7% increase back in 1968. In other words, we've never seen anything like this. The national rate of murders per 100,000 still remains, they say, about a third of the rate in the early 90s. The FBI, this, that is very misleading. Over 21,000 people were murdered in 2020. 21,000 people. You can put the death of our heroes in Iraq and Afghanistan, combine them, it doesn't get anywhere close to the number of people being murdered in our own streets, in our own country. Murder rose by 35% in cities with populations over 250,000, jumped more than 40% cities with 100 to 250,000 residents. FBI reported that murder was up at least 20% in every region of the country, including a 30% increase in the Midwest. Louisiana had the highest murder rate of any state for the 32nd straight year. What the hell's going on in Louisiana? But of course, property crimes declined almost 8%. Violent crime, 
Let's see, 380, about 400 offenses per 100,000 inhabitants, a rise of more than 5%. And it goes on. Over 21,000 people were murdered last year. Now listen to this. An estimated 1,278,000 violent crimes were committed in 2020. The estimated number of robberies fell nearly 10%. The estimated rape offenses decreased 12%. But the estimated number of aggravated assaults rose 12%. 6,452,000 property crimes. Of course, they say in part COVID-19-inspired lockdowns contributed to the rise in violent crime. Media somehow assumed the opposite. The defund the police movement led by partisan groups like Black Lives Matter and Democrat politicians also undoubtedly enabled the murder increase. Most police departments are down hundreds of officers since the spring of 2020, and the Democrats are still at it. You have mayors and governors firing state troopers, police officers, if they haven't been vaccinated. What if they have natural immunity? Doesn't matter. They haven't been vaccinated. Folks, we're losing nurses, medical assistants. Police, this is like the back doorway of doing it, right? It's really quite unbelievable. And I'm going to stick to my point that I've made for months and months and months and months. And it's this. I accept what they say about the vaccines. I am vaccinated. My wife is vaccinated. My kids are vaccinated. It was their decision, but that was their decision. And so I don't think it's a big deal, particularly in my case. I had no maladies, underlying maladies that could go haywire. But I accepted them. They were developed under Trump to defend myself against the virus. If somebody is out there, and they don't want to get vaccinated. Let's say they don't have natural immunity. They don't, have, they don't want to get vaccinated. How does that affect me in any direct way? Mr. Producer, how does that affect me in any direct way? If the vaccine does what the scientists say it does, why do I give an S? I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, You know, when I heard about what this uh, parole committee was doing down in California with respecting Serhan Serhan, I strongly objected. Literally considering releasing the man who murdered Robert Kennedy. And I was shocked that a couple of the Kennedy kids supported it. And then later, several of them opposed it to their good sense. John Hinckley Jr. 
as you know, tried to assassinate Ronald Reagan and came with an eyelash of doing it. And I remember that day as I was working in an office building right off Lafayette Park, relatively early into the president's presidency. And I've told you about this before. As a young man, I guess I was about 23, and the sirens started, and they got louder and louder. It was March 30, 1981. Ronald Reagan had been president a little over two months. And the, the sirens were so loud, and they passed right by my building, right, right by where I was sitting. And I said to a colleague of mine, as a young Reagan appointee, I said, what the hell is going on here, World War III? And then the report came out that the president had been shot, the 40th president of the United States. Nobody knew how bad it was, but as you now know, he almost died. He was bleeding out. Punctured lung, internal bleeding. Almost died. The man who shot him was John W. Hinckley, Jr. He crippled James Brady. Two officers were also shot. Now, Hinckley is 66 years old. The Washington Compost writes that trial he was found not guilty by reason of insanity after explaining that by shooting the president, he's trying to get the attention of actress Jodie Foster, with whom he was obsessed. And she played the character in the movie Taxi Driver about a would-be assassin of a presidential candidate. The verdict outraged many and led to changes in laws making the insanity defense more difficult to claim, but it didn't change the outcome of Hinckley's trial. He spent several decades in a government psychiatric hospital where his condition improved, and by the 1990s he was going on supervised trips with his family. In 2016 he was granted a strictly controlled conditional release to his mother's home in a gated community. This is by far the best outcome for anyone who has ever shot a president. They point out. When John Wilkes Booth assassinated President Lincoln, April 1865, he was dead by the end of the month. Soldiers hunted him down to a barn in Port Royal, Virginia. They set it on fire. As he moved around inside the burning structure, one soldier, claiming he spotted Booth raising a pistol, shot him in the neck. Booth's last words, according to biographer Gene Smith, were useless, useless. Laura Charles Gattu was arrested immediately after shooting President James Garfield in a D.C. train station in July 1881, supposedly because he imagined himself crucial to the new president's win and wanted an ambassadorship in exchange. Garfield lingered for months, enduring gruesome and unsanitary treatments by his doctors before succumbing to his injuries. They ought to be indicted for murdering James Garfield, not me. Goutte told reporters during his November trial he was convicted and he was hanged. President Garfield had been shot. The White House lied about his condition as he slowly died. <clears throat> For Leon Zalask, the anarchist who assassinated President William McKinley in 1901, punishment for his crime came swiftly, repeatedly, and continued after his death. Within seconds of shooting McKinley in the abdomen, At a public event in Buffalo, 
He was punched in the face by James Parker, the black man waiting behind him in line to meet the president. I'm told I broke his nose. I wish it had been his neck, Parker said later. Zosk was then badly beaten by law enforcement. A weeks later, after a brief trial, he was convicted and sentenced to death. He died by the electric chair 45 days after the shooting. See how swift the death sentence then was instituted? Prison officials dissolved his body in acid, the New York Times reported. And of course, we're accused of mistreating terrorists at Guantanamo Bay. Go figure. Then there's Lee Harvey Oswald, the former Marine, and a communist, by the way. They'll never mention that. He was a communist. He was a sympathizer to the uh, Soviet Union. Was taken into police custody hours after he shot and killed President John Kennedy from the Texas School Book Depository in Dallas. Two days later, while being transferred from the city jail to the county jail, he was shot and killed on live TV by local nightclub owner, Jack Ruby. Other than Reagan, there's only one other president who survived being shot by a would-be assassin, but in that case, it was a former president. In 1912, Theodore Roosevelt was in Milwaukee campaigning for a third term and a return to the White House when he was shot in the chest by saloon keeper John Fleming Schrank. Roosevelt was famously saved by the eyeglasses case and folded speech in his breast pocket, which slowed the bullet and saved him from serious injury. Track was nearly lynched by the surrounding crowd until Roosevelt intervened. Schrank told authorities McKinley's ghost had ordered him to kill Roosevelt. He was declared insane and, like Hinckley's, committed. Unlike Hinckley, he was never released. Schrank died in custody in 1943. I'm telling you these stories for a reason. In a handful of other incidents, sitting presidents have been shot, shot at, I should say, but not hit with a broad range of consequences, or lack thereof, for the shooters. In 1835, Andrew Jackson beat a failed assassin with his cane. The perpetrator was found to be insane and institutionalized until his death. In the summer before Booth assassinated Lincoln, Lincoln was shot at twice. Once by Confederates during the Battle of Fort Stevens, once by an unknown assailant. According to biographer Carl Sandberg, shot straight through Lincoln's top hat while he rode alone on his horseback. In early 1933, while still president-elect, Franklin Roosevelt narrowly escaped being shot by Giuseppe Zangara at a Miami park. The shooter, an unemployed bricklayer, said he hated capitalism, the rich, and just presidents in general. Hmm. Zangara was quickly sentenced to 80 years for wounding others in the attack. When one of the victims, Chicago Mayor Anton Cermak, died, he was resentenced for murder and executed. Only two women have attempted to shoot a president. Incredibly, both women acted only 17 days apart in 1975 and were aiming at the same person, President Gerald Ford. Neither Lynette Squeaky Fromm nor Sarah Jane Moore hit their target. They, they did pull their triggers. Each woman was sentenced to life in federal prison, and each woman escaped briefly, more in 1979 and from in 1987, before being recaptured. Both were also paroled in the years following Ford's death in 2007. Shocking to me. The same time Hinckley could be released unconditionally, Senator Robert Kennedy's assassin, Sirhan Sirhan. To be clear, Kennedy was assassinated because he supported Israel. Sirhan Sirhan was a Palestinian who hated Israel. That's what happened. 
But he could be paroled from prison. They write, in August, the California parole panel, we talked about this at length, voted in favor of Serhan's release more than 50 years after he killed the presidential candidate. It still has to be approved by the full parole board and governor before Serhan will be released. And in 2007, Arthur Bremer was granted a conditional release from prison after attempting to assassinate presidential candidate George Wallace in a 1972 rally in Laurel, Maryland. At 21, he shaved his head and kept a diary of his plot to kill either Wallace or President Richard Nixon. Wallace was easier. Trial Brenner pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity, but a jury took less than two hours to find him both guilty and sane. His parole is scheduled at the end of 2025. He'll be 74. Bremer was part screenwriter Paul Schrader's inspiration to write Taxi Driver, the movie that Hinckley later said became part of his fantasy to kill Reagan. So nobody who's ever assassinated a president or has attempted to assassinate a president has ever been released. But Hinckley's going to be. It's unprecedented. What the hell is going on with our judicial system? But he's doing better. It doesn't matter if he's doing better. There needs to be not only a deterrent effect for the individual, but generally speaking. People who shoot other people, people who shoot presidents, they're trying to destroy one branch of our government. It's an amazing thing. This has received almost no attention. They talk about insurrection in the Capitol and all. Here's one individual that almost took out the executive branch, the president who was elected by a landslide. And you hear crickets. Crickets. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Mark Levin, the thunder on the right. Call in now, 877-381-3811. It's a pleasure to have Senator Marsha Blackburn with us. Senator, how are you? I am doing well, Mark. Thanks for having me join you tonight. Well, listen, I watched this hearing today, most of it, and you were uh, really quite brilliant, the way that you insisted on short answers so they wouldn't filibuster you. And you went into some of the very, very... Uh, important topics. Tell me what your takeaway is from this hearing. My takeaway from this is that you had General McKenzie listening to General Miller, who was there on the ground in Afghanistan. General McKenzie is at CENTCOM. They passed the information up to Austin and Milley that you could not do a speedy withdrawal. If you did it, the Taliban was going to move in and take control, uh, that you had to take uh, – keep control of the embassy, Bagram Airfield, and put some additional people at Hkaya Airport in order to facilitate the exit. Joe Biden didn't want to hear any of that. And what is of, is really frustrating, I think, to a lot of the men and women in uniform and a lot of our veterans is that you didn't have Millie and Austin really forcing the issue of, but, Mr. President, you can't do what you want to do and get people out of Afghanistan and uh, keep the government system in the country. And 
uh, Joe Biden was focused on a date certain so that he could go out there and have his victory dance on September 11th and say, hey, look at me. I'm the guy. I ended this war. And it's, you know, Mark, it is like he missed the entire point of this. We were Uh-oh. Did, did we lose the senator? I guess we Called did. the war on terror for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey, senator, here, here's the thing to me. Also, this resignation issue. He says, you don't resi- you know, resign over policy differences and so forth. When Joe Biden went on Good Morning America and lied about the advice he got from his yeah. generals, that's a reason to resign and protest, isn't it? I would think that is a reason to resign. If you have given him advice, he didn't take it, you didn't counter that advice, he goes out there and says, well, nobody ever told me, and you told him, then yes, that would be a reason to resign. I thought that Mark Milley's answer was insufficient in that. I thought that Lloyd Austin's answers today were really quite insufficient because our military is there to do a job, and, you know, God bless the men and women in uniform. They have kept us free from terrorist attacks. And the problem is with the leadership, the people that are sitting in the Pentagon, not the men and women that are out in the field doing the job. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear any satisfactory answers either with respect to uh, American citizens in enemy ter- territory or patriotic Afghans who assisted us in enemy territory. They don't really have any plan to get them out, do they? They do not have a plan, and it was frustrating. You know, we had Democrats and Republicans that said, how many are still there? Because, see, we all have cases in our offices. My office has had about 2,000 cases that we're working with people that are citizens, they're contractors or missionaries or aid workers or their SIV holders and their families or applicants and their families. And, you know, Mark, they can't tell us how many people are there. They can't tell us if a case is open or closed, and uh, we're having to continue to try to find out from families or individuals, are you okay? Uh, Is anything being done to help you? This is not the way our country works. We do not leave people behind enemy lines, and to hear the the excuses out of President Biden and to hear the amount of nuance that was coming from General Milley and Secretary Austin today, I know from men and women that are in uniform, this had to be heartbreaking to see how they conducted themselves today. Now, Senator Blackburn, these, these leaks, and you correctly call them leaks, to, yeah. uh, to these yes. Washington Post reporters and other Trump-hating books that are written, why is Millie talking to them at all about anything? You know, I worked in the Reagan administration for eight years. I wasn't in the military, but I was chief of staff to the attorney general. I worked for Reagan. First of all, I wouldn't talk to any reporter about my bosses. He's in the military. He's the head of the Joint Chiefs. I mean, why is he talking to them at all about anything? It is completely inappropriate for him to be talking. I mean, that's enough to cause him to resign in and of itself. And he admitted, yes, out of the reporters, he had talked to these reporters. He claims to not have seen the books. But, Mark, I bet you that every one of them sent him an autographed copy. <laughs> I don't believe it book. for a minute. And I bet he <laughs> has read that book. Yeah. And he knows how he was portrayed in that book. But, see, he is very... 
very political. He's aggressively political, and he thought he was going into rehabbing his resume and rehabbing his image by talking to these guys. I I want to know how much time he spent talking to them and mm-hmm. ratting on President Trump and White House officials when he should have been working on Afghanistan. Let me just say this. We couldn't be prouder of what you did today. I thought all the Republicans were spot on, and we learned a lot. So I want to thank you, Senator. God bless you, my friend. Thank you. We'll be right back. Mark Levin, the research arm of conservative media. Call in now, 877-381-3811. I have an article in front of me that's way too long to read, but it's in the Wall Street Journal. And the headline is, 131 federal judges broke the law by hearing cases where they had a financial interest. The judges failed to recuse themselves from 685 lawsuits from 2010 to 2018 involving firms in which they or their family held shares, a Wall Street Journal investigation found. You know, my first book was called Men in Black. It was the most successful book on the Supreme Court since The Brethren. And in the book, I tried to explain judges are flesh and blood. The very front of the book, I say judges are flesh and blood. There have been some very superb justices to the Supreme Court. There have been some very average justices to the Supreme Court. There have also been racists, and dummies on the Supreme Court. And so, you shouldn't hold these justices up so high that they cease to be human beings, like they did with uh, RGB, did a whole movie on her. You can respect them, and you can certainly honor them, as we do often here, many of them. But the point is, it's a court. And so, you have situations, you have a nine-member court. Sometimes, if not frequently, you'll have a five-to-four vote. Isn't it a little odd? You have a five-to-four vote, and by one vote, the court can tell you what is or is not a fundamental right. Then maybe 25 years later, it's five-to-four the other way, and the fundamental right is no longer a fundamental right. Our constitutional system is completely out of whack. It's completely out of whack. The separation of powers being destroyed, the, the barriers and the firewalls in the Constitution being destroyed, framers are rolling in their graves. Trust me on this one. No question about it. Let's go to Karen, Bronson, Michigan. Karen on XM Satellite. How are you, Karen? I'm doing fantastic. Hey, Mark, you're a great patriot, and I appreciate you very much. Thank you. Calling about natural immunity tonight, but I wanted to make one somewhat snide remark about Hinckley's proposed release. Mm -hmm. You know, if we did what the French did, throwing a simple egg at the president's shoulder, where is that 19-year-old right now? He's in a psych hospital. Mm Mm-hmm. Simply for throwing an egg at his shoulder. Hinckley was in one a long time, you know, but... I know, but an egg versus 
actually. I, I agree. A hundred percent. You're right. A little bit different. So uh, I've done what uh, the U.S. has failed to do since COVID began, you know, in the country in February of 2020. And I've had two antibody tests over the course of four months. Antibodies going strong, first infection February of 2020, then December, just a more mild one. Uh And really working to get natural immunity accepted for these mandates, which, again, we don't have time to discuss how putrid those are to begin Uh with. But Spectrum Health in in Michigan is actually one of the first hospital systems who have accepted it on a temporary basis. I read that. More employers should do it. Yeah, uh-huh. Johns Hopkins, and I know you know Marty McCary. He's been on. I don't know him, but I know who he is. Yeah. But they're actually. I've joined a natural immunity study with them, which is now full, and it's the first one in the U.S. through Johns Hopkins. Wait a minute, are Why you a doctor? This? No, no, I've joined it as a consumer. Oh, as a patient. Now. Yes, to Marty saying, why aren't we doing natural immunity studies in the U.S.? I keep banging the drum on this thing. They keep talking about the unvaccinated, but it's interesting how they don't make a distinction. No. So natural immunity going strong now since February of 2020. And the interesting thing is my latest antibody test, which I actually got from LabCorp because, you know, surprise, surprise, Red Cross doesn't do those automatically anymore, which is crazy. But the results got sent without my permission to our community health department, who then translated the positive antibody test into guess what? A positive COVID test and sent me an order to quarantine or else. So I've had some great conversations with our health department this week, going through a forensic. I get get the point, and you're exactly right. And if somebody has the antibody, look, that Israeli study says it's 27 times more effective. That's a lot. Don't hang up. I want to send you a signed copy of American Marxism. That's a lot. That's the science. That's the science. It's like abortion. People may have their own political views, but the science is it's a baby. That's the science. All right. Let us go to Suzanne, Gaithersburg, Maryland, the great WMALW mall. How are you? Well, how about you doing? Very well, thank you. Well, I want to... Thank you for taking my call, and I also wanted to, you mentioned before about um, all the people that were killed this year, um, the FBI report, and um, I just wanted to, I have a feeling the Democrats are just going to blame it on people who legally own guns. Of course they will. You're right. They're not going to blame it on their own party, their own mayors, their own police chiefs, their own, no, they'll blame it on the gun. Definitely. That's and like blaming, I better not say what I'm thinking. But anyway, that's like blaming these genocidal maniacs, uh, blaming uh, um, the tools that they use to slaughter people rather than them. All right, Suzanne, don't hang up. We're going to send you a signed copy of American Marxism. Here is Obama. Good morning, America, today. Let's go to cut 19, Mr. Producer. Go. When you look at the overall package. This is the $5.5 trillion. Go ahead. Got uh, a headline uh, price tag of three and a half trillion dollars, but that's not a single year. This is spread out over a number of years. 
And most importantly, it's paid for by asking the wealthiest of Americans. Obama has always been a very effective liar. A very effective liar. I want you to listen to me very carefully. Those of you who earn a modest living, you're going to get whacked. Many of you might lose your jobs. You're not going to get salary increases. You're not getting improved benefits. These businesses you work for are going to be under enormous strain. They already are. You see the, uh, the product dislocation, basics, the supply dislocation, it's going to become impossible. They want to turn the country into California. Look what they did to California, the wealthiest state. Everybody wanted to live and go to California. Look what they've done to California. That's what they want to do to America. These are the people who gave us the open border, who gave us what happened in Afghanistan. These are the people pushing critical race theory, who support their teachers' union over the little kids that you send into these schools. These are the people who are trying to destroy our economic system with the Green New Deal and all the other lunacy. And Obama supports all of it. The wealthiest Americans. What, what does that phrase even mean? Who are the wealthiest Americans? Well, if you're a firefighter and you have a teacher, and that's your marriage, the two of you, and maybe you make a quarter of a million a year, excluding benefits. You're wealthy Americans. Wealthy. Don't we want more wealthy Americans? Isn't that the point? Isn't that the point? Obama's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. He and the missus. Al Gore's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. The hell have they done? Libraries to themselves, private jets. He's got Martha's, Martha's whatever the hell, vineyard. 15 million estate there, 13 million in Washington, D.C., God knows what in Chicago as they build a uh, monument to him. The wealthiest Americans should pay. That's because he'll give another speech, another quarter of a million. What does he care? He doesn't care at all. Let's go. Continue, please. Who have benefited incredibly uh, over the last several decades and even in the midst of a pandemic saw their wealth and assets rise. Now that's, you're talking about like Bezos and stuff like that. But there's a lot of people who had money who lost everything. They had businesses. They lost everything. And you know, this particular plan targets all of you. It targets your um, your educational system. It targets your economic system. You can see what they're doing on the border and so forth. These people are liars. That's what they do. They lie. They have to lie. But the caller from the villages in Florida had a brilliant answer. Remember, those of you who weren't here, I want to tell you what he said. He said, well, if this doesn't cost anything, if it's all paid for by the wealthy and so forth, why do we need to raise the debt ceiling? We don't need to raise the debt. It's all paid for. Go ahead. Asking them to pay a few percentage points more. They're asking anyone to pay a few percentage of anything. Massive increases in taxes. Obama's a liar. But you know, he's always been a liar. Do you know of anybody on Obamacare who likes Obamacare? Do you, Mr. Producer? Their choices are limited and the costs are through the roof. That's Obamacare. A disaster. Here's Pelosi at a press conference today. I know this is painful. 
Cut 20, go. Is there any thought of using the 14th Amendment to lift the debt ceiling? You keep, I've heard you mention that a couple times. Yeah. Is there any, are you, is that something that you're thinking about? I'll that? let you know soon. No, I mean, the point is, is it's in the Constitution. We really do not have to go. See, this is, we've gone through this. I have to do this like every four or three years about the uh, the credit of the United States and so forth. The 14th Amendment has absolutely nothing to do with it. But that doesn't matter. They hate the Constitution, but they'll use it to destroy it. Go ahead. Time. And what's important for, the, for y'all to know and to report? Oh, y'all, she's a Southerner now. Must be from South San Francisco. She's talking about the full faith and credit clause, which has nothing to do with this. Go ahead. Not about future spending. This is about to pay the bills that were incurred. Only 3% of this is about Joe Biden's presidency. So why do you care then? These are real scam artists, folks. On the one hand, they want to spend $5.5 trillion It's no cost. On the other hand, they want to raise the debt ceiling to pay for the debt they already created. Go ahead. The bulk of it is under the previous president's administration, where Democrats and Republicans today added to the national debt because of COVID. We don't oh, achieve- yeah, right. That last expenditure, what was it, $2.3 trillion? I've lost count anymore. That was all Democrats. Go ahead. Ah, don't go ahead. I can't take it. I'll be right back. Lovin. Let's go to... Uh, what do we have? Charles, Cleveland, Ohio, XM Satellite. Charles, how are you, sir? I'm doing uh, very well, and I'm a big fan of yours. I've been listening to you probably 10, 15 years religiously wow. every night. I love hearing you on uh, Hannity, and uh, I'm an African-American surgeon in, in here in Cleveland. I just wanted to make a quick comment. Yes, sir. To answer your question, maybe 15 minutes ago, you asked the audience why somebody who is vaccinated should care whether or not somebody else is vaccinated. Yes. And one of the main reasons why the vaccinated should care could, should care is because the hospital beds are being inundated by individuals who are not vaccinated and getting infected with COVID. The ICU beds are full. And so when people need to go to the hospital for heart disease or strokes or whatever it but is. But you now have therapeutics you can give them. They, most of them, not all of them, you know, we're talking generally two, three days and then they're out, right? Well, you know, that, that, that is an option. And again, I've listened to you. I believe that we need to be working um, hard to develop new therapeutics. So I agree with you 100%. But I'm saying two, three days, and they have natural immunity, and they actually have better immunity than people who are vaccinated. And we're not taking that into account. You try, doctor, you go to the CDC website and tell me if you can find how many people are mentioned there, the numbers, the data on uh, natural immunity and the antibody. You're not going to find it. Why? I'm not a conspiracy nut, but why? You know, why do we treat... How many of the unvaccinated are people who have natural immunity? There's got to be a significant percentage of them. No, you're right. So I'm, I'm excluding people who have already been contracted COVID and have uh, natural immunity, but I'm talking about people who have not been con- contracted. But, but here's another theory, or at least not theory, another, another model of thinking, and that is, and DeSantis and others think this, if people want to get vaccinated, they should. If they don't, they come down with the virus, 
They get the natural immunity. They're treated with therapeutics. They go back into society. They're less of a threat than people who've been vaccinated. Call again, Charles. We don't have a lot of time, but don't hang up. I want to send you a copy of American Marxism. Folks, we have a big battle coming up right now. If you haven't gotten your copy of American Marxism yet, please go to Amazon.com while it's still 40% off. Please get it, if you're able, to your friends and neighbors and family. We have a big push coming up right now. See you tomorrow.